0: Yes, Lord Jesus, it's the simplest of prayers, but it's the prayer of our heart this morning. Will you come, Lord Jesus? Will you come because we know that you are the answer. Whatever that question might be, whatever has brought us here this morning, and whatever we're facing this week, you are the answer. So when you come, Lord Jesus? We're going to um, invite our kids to go to their groups uh, now. If they'd like to head to the back, uh, look for somebody with a blue T-shirt, they'll point you in the right direction. Uh, And uh, we're praying, Lord Jesus, that you will come and be present in these groups as well as they meet, as they explore the good news of Jesus Christ in these young lives. Uh, We pray that you will meet with these young people and change them forever. Amen. Well, it's, um, it's time for us to open Scripture and to explore another encounter with Jesus. Um, you'll know we've already had uh, a few in this series. We've uh, thought about Nathaniel encountering Jesus sitting under a tree, and, and Jesus calls him, and it changes his life forever. We've thought about Nicodemus last week and that, that sneaky encounter in the nighttime and how that is echoes through the Gospel of John, and you can see the change it's had on his life. Uh, and today we're thinking about an encounter that Jesus has at a well um, so our Bible reading is from John chapter 4, um, but I thought basically this reading is a conversation, right? It's, it's, between, it's a conversation between Jesus and the, the woman, so I thought, uh, you know, we might as well get a number of voices reading this. Um, what we're going to need is a well. Um, fortunately, toddler cupboard helped out with that, so we've got a, we've got a well um, there's a little bit of background to this story that I, it's probably best if I fill you in on it right now. so, so this well is known as Jacob's well. Um, John tells us that it's a well that uh, was uh, given by Jacob to his son Joseph. Um, and at this point in the narrative in this point in history uh, it's in a territory known as Samaria. Uh, now we need to go back a little bit so since Jacob Gave this world to Joseph. At that point, it's part of Israel. It becomes part of the promised land. But you'll remember in the Old Testament narrative that the the people of Israel get driven out of the promised land. They lose it um, because they turn to other gods, because they turn away from the true God. And he allows the Babylonians to come in, uh, to overrun the land and to remove most of them. They get taken off into exile in Babylon. Uh, almost all of them get taken off into exile in Babylon. Not quite all of them. If you've read um, your, your history in Kings, you'll know some get left behind. To will come back to that in a minute. So they get taken off into exile. And eventually, after a, a number of years in exile, they come back. But they discover that, that there's this chunk of the Promised Land in the middle, uh, which is uh, occupied, really, by these, this race called the Samaritans. And it kind of splits uh, the Promised Land from the, the top half and the bottom bit. And Samaria is right there in the middle. Uh, We don't know exactly where these Samaritans came from as a nation, but we do know that they're not quite foreign, uh, and they're not quite one of us either, in the the Jewish way of understanding. Uh, That they seem to be kind of related to us. Um, I I like one of the the best guesses at what's happened here is that maybe some of the people who were left behind at the exile, the Babylonians only took the the cleverest and the most important, um, some of those who were left behind become the Samaritan race, but of course they haven't got anybody to lead them, they haven't got anybody to teach them, and so they end up in that exile period, intermarrying with people around them, uh, they end up not going to Jerusalem to worship, which is where the Jews at the time were meant to worship, uh, so they kind of end up with this sort of diluted, watered down, slightly confused version of Judaism. You can imagine what happens then is that the Jews come back, who've been keeping you know, the, the faith as they inherited it pure, and they, they find these people there who are kind of messing it up. You can imagine the dynamics between those two groups. So now you've got the Jews saying, well, you're not doing it properly. And you've got the Samaritans saying, you're looking down on us. We've been here all along. So there's a really tense relationship. That's all important to know, uh, because what's happening in the story today is Jesus is passing through Samaria. He's been in Jerusalem for a big festival. He's going home to Galilee. It involves going north. He can take a long route that avoids going through Samaria. Samaria. There's lots of good reasons why you might do that because the Samaritans don't like them and there, there certainly have been uh, reports that the Samaritans are actually attacking pilgrims and, and, and robbing them and you know, there's no love lost here. But they decide on this occasion they are going to go straight through and Jesus comes to the well where he encounters this Samaritan woman. Right, so I'm going to need a Jesus. Um, I've got the, uh, the, the reading from uh, John chapter 4, beginning of verse 5. I've got it printed out here, and what I would love is if somebody could be Jesus and just come and read it out. That's all you have to do. There's no acting. Don't worry. I'm not going to do anything embarrassing. Um, if you could, somebody would be happy to come and read as Jesus, who'd like to be Jesus? Thank you. Perfect. Thank you, Matt. Come and, um, come and get yourself comfy here. I'll give you a script. I'll give you a script and a microphone.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: now... Probably you would have just perched on the edge of the well, but I wouldn't try it. Uh, the comfy chair. Have a, have a seat. And uh, get yourself into roll. So you've been on a long journey. You've been coming up from Jerusalem. It's a hot day. And, uh, and John tells us you are tired. And the sun's beating down. There we go. You might want a handkerchief on your head. Uh, perfect. Great. So Jesus has arrived. He's, um, remember, he's in Samaria. It's an unusual place to be to start with, and he's having a little rest. And then at this point, a woman comes along, the Samaritan woman. Who'd like to be Samaritan woman? You get all the best lines, if that helps. Oh, come on, somebody. Linda, perfect, thank you. <laughs> so we're just going to read this to you. This is just the script. This is this is straight as John tells it. We just I haven't fiddled with it. Uh, we'll read it to you. It's from the NIV version. If you're following along uh, in your pew Bibles, it'll be slightly different. Just to point out, there's a few things already about this scene that are a bit weird. Um, We're in Samaria. Let's start with that. What's Jesus doing in Samaria? Uh, Number two, Jesus is on his own. The disciples have gone into town to get some food, uh, and a woman comes up. Now, then as now, Me Too movement and all the rest of it, a man on his own with a woman, particularly if you're a respectable rabbi and known for your holiness, that's a dangerous thing. People are going to talk. You're on your own with a woman. Not only with a woman, but with a Samaritan woman. Remember, no love lost between these two. They refuse to share cups, and it's not because of coronavirus. It's because they don't like each other. Um, So this is a weird setup. And, and, And also... What are you doing here? It's the middle of the day, Samaritan woman. I mean, that's that's a crazy time to go and collect water. If you've ever uh, had to carry a big lot of water, if you've been to New Wine, you'll know what this is like. You fill up the sort of five-gallon thing, and you think that will keep us going for a couple of days, and then you go to pick it up, and it's, oh, heck. It's heavy. Water is heavy. So you don't go in the middle of the day to collect water from the well, because it's knackering. You go in the early morning or in the late in the evening when it's a bit cooler. So what's this woman doing here? Why has she come in the middle of the day? It's almost as if she's trying to avoid everybody else. Right, should we hear the story? Oh, you need a mic, Amanda. There we go. Hopefully your parts are clear. Is that good? I shall be narrator. I was born for this. Right. So John chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar,
1: Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life.
2: Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep, keep coming here to draw water.
1: Go, call your husband and come back.
2: I have no husband.
1: You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true.
2: Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem.
1: Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth.
2: I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us.
1: I, the one speaking to you, I am he.
0: Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people,
2: Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah?
0: They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Great. Thank you ever so much, Samaritan woman and Jesus. That's so helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. And uh, yep, you might want to just have a little lie down after all that time in the sun. I'm going to turn this off or it's going to get really distracting, isn't it? Great. So as we uh, explore that word, shall we um, just pray and invite the Spirit to come and speak to us? Uh, Heavenly Father... We thank you that you have given us the word of God and you have given us the spirit and that you uh, invite us to live in the light of both of them. So as we open your written word, uh, will you fill us with your spirit? Will you fill the words that I speak with power and authority? Will you uh, translate so that everyone here uh, who needs to hear your voice today hears it with power and authority? So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, isn't that a a fun passage when you actually sort of read it out like that and you you imagine that context and you imagine the people there and that that real conversation uh, going on? And um, I flagged up at the beginning there about how there were lots of things that weren't quite right with that scene. Um, Jesus on his own with a woman, Jesus on his own with a Samaritan, talking to a Samaritan, having anything to do with a Samaritan, uh, it being a hot day. Uh, Jesus passing through Samaria at all, uh, all sorts of things that you sort of think, well, why, what's going on here? Scratch your head. What's, this picture isn't right. But did you notice that when they actually get into their conversation, they don't talk about any of those things? All of those things that seemed important to us uh, when we looked at the scene, when we appreciated the context, all of those things that, that kind of made us think, what's Jesus up to? They're not talking about those things. They, they're talking about entirely different agenda. They are talking about the spirit gushing up like water uh, out of this well. And um, this is really a theme for John's gospel. Uh, John talks a lot about this unstoppable, incredible wave uh, of mercy, of love, of spirit, of life that is coming from the Father. In Jesus uh, and that is filling people with the spirits and that when this this tidal wave this unstoppable wave of God's mercy comes it kind of wipes away all those things that don't really matter and it suddenly focuses us on the things that really do uh, matter it's kind of like the opposite of a tsunami that brings destruction and, and, and devastation and it's kind of a tsunami that brings healing and restoration if you've been paying attention um, in the last couple of weeks as we've been reading uh, John's Gospel, and indeed if you've been doing the St. John's Bible reading scheme, we've just started reading the first few chapters of John, you might have seen this theme coming out already, this theme of what God is doing here is incredible, it's abundant, it's, it's full, it's, it's a great wave of activity from God. This isn't just a little thing, this is a great big overwhelming something coming. If we go back um, to John chapter 1, it's that passage that we always read at Christmas that's really familiar. Uh, And towards the end of that reading, uh, John says about the word that is coming into the world. For uh, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So the word comes and in the fullness of who Jesus is. We receive grace, and not just grace, but grace upon grace. There's this picture almost of grace tripping over itself in its excitement and in the sheer volume of grace uh, that is coming our way in chapter one. And then we move on to chapter two, and we're into a kind of really down-to-earth, normal story about real people in the real world at a wedding, and the wine runs out. And you'll remember what happens. Uh, Jesus uh, takes the water and turns it into wine, but he doesn't just turn a little bit of water into wine. Um, I know I've talked about this before, you'll be familiar with this. Uh, In the NRSV it says that those big stone jars contain 30 gallons of water each. These are for washing, this is not for drinking, this water, there's lots and lots of water. And there's six of them, so uh, that's that's a lot of wine, right? (laughs) That's a lot of gallons of wine. And it's not just a little bit of wine. It's not just wine. It's really, really good wine. It's the best wine. The steward is amazed. So, you know, we've got rolls and racks and racks and racks of this best Chateau Neuf de Pap that Jesus has made. There's this huge tsunami of amazing wine coming their way. And remember, they've already drunk what the family thought was enough for the wedding. And Jesus now pours on top of it all of this amazing wine. Can you imagine the conversations they're having? They're probably going, this stuff's amazing. But they're probably wondering about, you know, what what are they going to do with it all? You know, how much is going to be left over? What are they going to do? Are they going to be able to store it? Is it going to go off? Can you imagine the conversations? There's this huge tsunami of grace coming their way. Uh, uh, in their moment of need. And then we move into chapter three, and we thought about this last week uh, with Nicodemus. And you remember Nicodemus goes as the the, the lawyer, the scholar, he wants to know what Jesus is up to. And Jesus starts talking in this language that he can barely grasp about wind and spirit and and water. Uh, And um, he uses that amazing phrase about the spirit blowing where it wills. The Spirit of God just blowing around, doing whatever it wants. You can imagine this kind of like uh, benevolent hurricane or, or a little tornado that's going around and, and spinning and causing, causing chaos and stirring things up in one place and picking things up and then dropping them back down over here. It's the, the Spirit of God just overwhelming us with what He is doing. The, the Spirit of God blowing through, shaking up, restoring, refreshing. And now we come to chapter four and the, the woman at the well. And, and again, we get another abundant phrase, don't we, that Jesus talks about the, the water springing up to eternal life. Uh, I think the NIV said that it, it, it springs up. I think the NRSV puts it gushing up, gushing up. Uh, you can imagine them there talking and there's this sort of deep hole of water and, and as Jesus is talking, he's, they're both picturing this water just kind of welling up and welling up and welling up and suddenly it's splashing all over and they're kind of like ducking out of the way because there's water flowing everywhere. Everywhere, the the abundant water of life that is coming at them from all directions and, and, and almost certainly picking up that allusion uh, to Ezekiel and his, his picture towards the end of his, his book of the, the grace of God flowing from the throne of God as a, a river of living water and life just bursting out in all directions. So this is, this is a theme of John. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? There's this theme of the Holy Spirit turns up in all these forms, in water, in wind, in wine. I mean, who knew the Spirit was such fun? And, and then it keeps going like this through the book of John. Keep looking for those moments when, when there's just a crazy abundance of stuff, the feeding of the 5,000, and there's food left over. Um, the, the fish right at the end, you know, when they catch all those fish and they haul them in and the nets are breaking because there's so many fish. There's just this sense of what God is doing is abundant. It is crazy. It is an extraordinary outpouring of grace. And what we see is that when we encounter that extraordinary, unstoppable wave of God's grace, it washes right through all of the things in our lives and transforms all of them. This is an incredible good news wave of grace. It takes things that are broken and damaged and it washes them away. And it resets priorities and it gives us a whole new way of thinking. Um, I mean, if you just think about that woman... At the well, I mean, I suspect you've probably worked this out by now. Probably the reason she's there in the middle of the day with the sun beating down on her to carry this great big heavy water is that she's afraid of what people are going to say if they see her. She's probably had encounters with them already. They are disgusted at her life. They, they think that her behaviour's been appalling. She's had this whole string of relationships. We have no idea what caused those problems. We have no idea uh, why she was in that position. But what we do know... It's that this grace of God overwhelms her as she stands at the well talking to Jesus. And do you notice what happens right at the end of the conversation? She rushes into the town to talk to the people she was trying to avoid. She goes and talks to them, and they listen to her. And they come and see Jesus as well. All of those fears, all of those anxieties that were there before have been washed away by this great tsunami of grace as Jesus has healed her, has turned her life around and transformed it and sent her back to the very place that she feared most in order to declare the good news of what Jesus is doing. And it doesn't just transform her. I mean, there's our sermon series theme, isn't it? Lives transformed by an encounter with Jesus. But it doesn't just transform her. It transforms that whole community really quickly. Yeah, remember what we were saying about the Samaritans feeling looked down upon, you know, treated as a bit of a mongrel race, uh, treated as second best, as people haven't really understood, who aren't worshipping in the right place in the right time. They can't bear these holy-than-thou Jews who keep walking through their territory in order to get backwards and forwards to this temple. And yet, this woman goes and speaks to them, and they come out and see Jesus because they want to know more. And then, this is the remarkable bit, They invite him to stay for two days. They invite him to stay. Bear in mind, John has just told us we don't even share a cup with people like this. This whole community is now saying, come and stay with us. We want to know more. We want to know more. This huge tsunami of God's grace has swept right through that woman's life and through her, right through that community. What she has received has flowed straight out from her. You can see that Ezekiel vision again, can't you? Just that water of life, the spring gushing up with the spirit of life, and it's filling this whole community and this whole area. It's bringing healing. I don't know if you've ever worried about sharing the good news of Jesus and how that can feel a bit scary, right? Yeah, if we talk about evangelism, if we talk about you know, persuading people that they ought to be Christians, that all sounds scary, doesn't it? That doesn't sound like that's fun. Look at the way it works in John chapter 4. This woman encounters this extraordinary abundance of grace and it transforms her life completely and immediately she goes and she speaks to people and it just flows out of her. What she has received, she gives. It's like the water is pouring down on her head and then splurging out into the community all around her. This is what it is when that unstoppable tidal wave of the Spirit of God The unstoppable tidal wave of the grace of God comes straight through a life. Um, Not long after I arrived here as your vicar, which is getting on for three and a half years ago, um, a small group of us uh, gathered up in the Evans room. We wanted to pray about what God wanted to do here in Locks Heath. I remember Pete Benton helped to call people together. I probably didn't even know who who was there, to be honest. I can't can't remember. I probably didn't know your name at the time. Uh, It was right early on, and we just prayed, and we said, God, show us what you're doing. And I had this really clear vision in my head, a really clear picture, and it felt like it was from God, and I shared it with that little group. If you were there, you may remember it. And it was as if I was kind of, from a viewpoint of perching up on the top of the roof, and I was looking in that direction. I mean, it was very specifically over that direction. I'm not sure why. Uh, And I could see over the tops of the roofs of the houses a great big wave coming our way. A great wave of God's spirit and God's mercy and God's grace coming over Heath. It was flowing in. And I said in the meeting, I shared this picture and I I said, I think think God's saying, you know, his grace is coming. This is what he's doing here. Um, And we need to get ready. And we prayed then, I must admit, a prayer that I've regretted since... Uh, that God would work and he would be working uh, so amazingly, so abundantly, so quickly that we would struggle to keep up. That's a prayer that we prayed for quite a while at the beginning, that we would struggle to keep up. I have struggled to keep up, <laughs> but what a good problem to have. Uh, the grace of God's mercy just coming over Lock's Heath. And when we look at stories like this woman at the well and how her life was changed and how a whole community was changed and healed... What an exciting prospect that is, isn't it? That abundance of God breaking over Locks Heath. Are we ready for it? Are we ready for it? Are we looking for it? Are we thinking? Are we going to struggle to keep up? Um, You know, we can't wait to see what God is going to do. And just remember the lessons from the woman at the well. Some of those things that we thought were really important, some of the things that matter, like, you know, should a man and a woman be talking to each other? And. Should we really be associating with Samaritans? And was this the best route to take from Jerusalem to Galilee? Some of those questions have disappeared because the wave has broken over the top. And it may be some of the things that we worry about, some of the things that are our top priorities may disappear when the wave of God's mercy breaks again over us because he sets the agenda. This is what he's doing, not what we're doing. He, he, his race and his mercy just breaks over us. But what an exciting prospect that we receive that grace, we are filled with it. And then it flows out of us into our community. We've been caught on the hop this week. Uh, When we met for Alpha on Wednesday night, we were sort of still going, ha, coronavirus, ha, ha, ha. You know, it'll, it'll be bad, won't it? Suddenly, in a matter of days, it really is bad, isn't it? You know, we're talking about serious issues for our community and for our nation, if not our world. Uh, we were talking to our kids about this and, and saying, you know, guys, this has never happened before in our lifetime. Nothing like this. You know, probably the last time this happened was Spanish flu. Was that 1919? Anybody remember that? I'm being cheeky. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, this, this is an extraordinary opportunity, actually, for the church to be the church for us to uh, go out there with this grace and this abundance that is poured into us and to pour it out to others. We, we've cobbled together this, this flu friends scheme. And look guys, a lot of you here are, are young enough that you probably aren't too scared of COVID-19 yourselves. But there are a lot of people in this community uh, who it could be a really serious thing for them. In fact, we were trying to do a back of the envelope calculation on you know, how many extra funerals are we gonna need to reckon on just from our community. It has come down to that. So what are we going to do when that wave of God's mercy crashes over this? You know, when actually it rearranges all the things that we're worrying about right now because God is doing something else. Because he wants us to come along and be part of that wave crashing over COVID-19 in Lox Heath. What's it going to look like? If we can be people who've received grace and who give grace, if we can just do those little things, if we can be checking on our neighbours, if we can be phoning up people we know are isolated you know, every day, checking how they're getting on, it's going to be awful. Even with Netflix, it's going to be awful. Uh, you know. And if you're a bit older and you don't really like Marvel comics, it's going to be shocking. So what can we do to just keep in touch with people? What can we do to offer practical help to be able to drop some things on the doorstep and, and leave them there and walk away so we're not a danger to them, but we can actually change and bring healing into our community, the wave of God's grace breaking. So that that was the vision we had. That's the vision that I think is still coming. I think that's what God is doing. And I just wanted to uh, to finish by noticing this. This isn't what we're doing. This is what God is doing. When God's abundance breaks out like this, when the spirit blows where it wills, it blows where it wills, when the, when the spring overflows and gushes up, it flows wherever it wants to flow. It's not for us to decide which channel it should go down and where that should go. We're just watching what God is doing. We're amazed. We're um, transformed as we receive it. And how do we join in? You know, it's one of the old truisms, particularly the Church of England loves this. You know, look for what God is doing and then join in. Yeah, that's great. That is great theology. Let's look for where God's wave is breaking and then let's see what we can join in with. And how do we engage with it? Well, I think it was there in that conversation between the Samaritan woman and Jesus. It was about worship. I mean, she thought she was talking about something else. She thought she was talking about, well, we like Mount Gerizim for for our worship and you guys like Mount Zion. And you can see kind of, you know, uh, entrenched positions being set up there you know, you justify why you're in Jerusalem and and I'll justify why we're in Gerizim. And the wave of God's mercy just gushes straight through that and sweeps it away and Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're looking for worship in the spirit and in truth. And that's why since I arrived here, you know, three and a half years ago, I've been on and on and on about worshiping in the spirit. It's really simple questions like, if Jesus hadn't come back to life and given us the Spirit, would it make any difference to how our church behaves? You know, actually, if we, if we were just a church that was remembering a Jesus who died and inspired by that to do good, that would be something. But is that the church? Actually, the church is, some, some, is, a, is an organization that says the Spirit is still active. Jesus is alive. Jesus was resurrected, which means he's still here. He's still doing things. And how do we join in with that? So we look for the risen Lord Jesus doing stuff and we joined in. And sometimes that wave catches us out. Have you ever had that experience uh, when you are swimming in the sea or uh, maybe you go to one of those fancy pools where they've got a wave machine and uh, you're quite enjoying it and you're bobbing up and down you get in the hang of the waves, and then you turn in to look at the shore, and you give them a wave, and you go, look at me, I'm so cool in my wetsuit and doing the thing, and you turn around, and this wave smacks you in the face. Have you ever had that? <laughs> or you just misjudged it, you didn't see it coming, there's a big one coming in it, and you head your back to it, and you turn around, and it, and it goes in your mouth and up your nose, and you've got that <laughs> moment, and there's like salt water, and you can smell it, and you can taste it, and it's disgusting, and you're spluttering. You ever had that experience? <laughs> I think we have a spiritual equivalent of that sometimes, you know, that actually this is what God is doing. He's not waiting for us to be ready. He's getting on with it. The wave of God's mercy is crashing over us, crashing over us. It's resetting agendas. It's sweeping stuff away. It's transforming lives. It's bringing healing. It's bringing hope. And maybe we're ready and maybe we're not. Maybe we're, we're there with our surfboard and ready to jump on and maybe we're spluttering and there's salt water up our noses. But how do we invite God? How do we, how do we say, yeah, we, we love this picture of what you're doing in lives and in our community. Can we be part of it, please? How do we do that practically? I think it's in worship. I think it's in worship. That is the place where we set aside some time and we stop for a while and we say, great, this is just about you, God. This time is just about you. I've got other things to do, but now I just want to listen and look at you and, and try and notice what you are doing around me and in my life. And, and I want to worship you in the spirit. I want that spirit that blows where it wills. I want that, that wave of water, that, that gushing spring. I want to be part of it and I want to ride it and I want to surf it and I want to be part of what you are doing. So fill me, show me, guide me. That's what true worship is. It's turning to God. It's inviting him to fill us and to lead us and to guide us. So I think that is how this amazing picture of the grace of God, the abundant, outpouring, transforming, unstoppable wave of God's grace is something we can join in with, something we can be a part of when we worship, when we worship. So it's not about how good the music is and it's not good about how emotional we feel and it's not about whether we're in the right place. It's about what are you doing, God? It's about stopping and looking and inviting him to show us and then waiting for the wave. So we've already done some worshipping this morning. We've already waited on God and on his spirit a bit this morning, but I want to do a bit more of it, if that's all right. I want to invite the band, if they come back up, to help us Uh, with this with some music and you know we've spoken about this before it's not that music somehow magically makes us worshippers when we weren't worshippers before it's just about how worship has that ability to get underneath our skin doesn't it and to unlock bits of us that are not just going on in our brain but going on in our heart and going on in our soul Um, so what what I want us to do is just to, to stand and to invite the wave of God's mercy here are you up for that and we'll, let's stand together now, and we'll just invite the Spirit to come. We'll just wait in silence for a while. We'll just wait, uh, and, then, and then we'll sing a bit together. Holy Spirit, when we read the Gospel of John, when we see that picture of the extraordinary outpouring of your grace and your love and your mercy, it's just so attractive, and we long to see it here. We long to see it in our lives. We long to see it in our community. And Father, this isn't what we do. This isn't about whether we've planned this right or got, got this right or whether we've got the right skills or the right talents. It's just about fixing our eyes on you and inviting that wind of the Spirit to blow. So as we stand here, Holy Spirit, will you come in your abundant love unstoppable wave of grace burst over us this morning we pray That uh, waiting in silence is something that's really countercultural for us now, but we're just going to wait a bit longer because it takes a while just for our own thoughts, our own busyness in our head, to calm down, and we just want to listen. Holy Spirit, come. If you're not comfortable standing, uh, do feel free to sit. But let's just listen and be receptive to the spirits. Sometimes when we're waiting for the Spirit to it starts to kind of have a physical effect on us, it might, it might be that we become really aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit around us, like almost like the air becomes heavy, and we can, it's almost palpable that he is here. Sometimes um, we, we feel it in ourselves, maybe I, um, feel a weight in our hands if we're holding them out in front of us, or, or maybe just feel a little tingling or a, or a little sense of peace. Or sometimes the Holy Spirit brings to mind something that he really wants us to address, a thing in our life, something that needs correcting so that he can pour more of his grace into our lives. So we just wait a bit longer. Come, Holy Spirit.
3: We come with expectation, you're waiting here for you, waiting here for you. You're the Lord of all creation, still in all my heart. The author of salvation, he loved us from the start, waiting here for you.
0: Lord Jesus, as we've waited on you, as we've listened for your spirit, we just want to register if um, we think you've been speaking to us, if we've known your presence. We just want to lodge that in our minds and saying this is a day when we met with the Lord. And Lord, whenever we meet you, just like the women at the well, we are transformed by you. We want to invite you to continue to transform us day by day. There's always more, there's always more. We pray that you will reach deep into our lives, that you will transform us day by day into holy and good people, fit for eternity with you. So come, gracious, loving Lord, in great waves of grace on us, we pray. And Father, what we have received, will you help us to give? We pray that this week as we uh, go into our fearful world, Uh, As we notice the people around us, our friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues, uh, as we look for the signs of where your kingdom is breaking in, where your spirit is blowing like the wind, will you give us opportunities to join in? We pray that that flowing water of life will flood out from us. I pray that you will lodge in our minds really good, practical things that we can do to make a difference, to to make this world uh, one that lives closer to you, that knows your goodness and your mercy. I pray that you will help us to resolve now that we're going to be people this week of good news. And Father, we pray for our world. It's at times like this when the myth that we can be in control is so obviously uh, blown away. We thank you that you are in control. We pray especially if there are those who are at risk of being overlooked uh, whilst we're looking at something else, uh, especially uh, people for whom the threat today is, is not so much a, a statistical risk from a virus, but uh, the threat of starvation or of not having water or of war or of violence today. We pray, Heavenly Father, Helplessly, that your wave of grace will break over this world, that your kingdom will come. Father, we are your ambassadors. Send us out into your world as people of good news this week. In Jesus' name, amen.